1: Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. This is Margie O'Meara, Democratic Pollster with GBA Strategies.
0: And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican Pollster with Echelon Insights, and I am not Dave Wasserman. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that took us
1: all by surprise. Well, he did say he was going to do it, but that was a good little, a good <laughs> chuckle out of it. I know, he really liked to ham it up, right? So uh, we are back together. Um... Oh, yeah. Each week we bring you the polls, showing the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture, just in case you forgot that piece of who we are. But yeah, we're back together. Kristen was on travel. We had a great fill-in from Dave Wasserman to go through all the Texas nitty-gritty
0: I do not understand how he holds so much information in his brain. Yeah. So, uh, the other, uh, on Tuesday night, while the returns were coming in from Pennsylvania 18, I realized so, my, the, the Soltis and my, my mom's side of the family, whose maiden name I won't say because I think it's like the security question on a variety <laughs> of different things. Uh, I mean, if you really want to hack me, I guess you can go like hunt it down. But both of my parents, their grandparents grew up outside of Pittsburgh. So I kind of was Googling around to see like, ooh, do I have any or any of my forebears from like Pennsylvania 18 or what you – the district formerly known as Pennsylvania Yeah, 18. and they're
1: like, please don't call me. We are not voting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think any of them still live there. But there is a Soltis Drive – In Clareton, Pennsylvania. Mm. And so I Googled. I'm like, oh, Clareton. Like that's outside of of Pittsburgh. And so Google has this fun tool where you can go into Google Maps and it'll put the district – it'll like shade the district in purple. And I looked and Soltis Drive in Clareton, Pennsylvania is like 500 feet from the district line. And I was like, oh, man. Like so we're not in the district but huh? what what is this? And the reason it's called Soltis Drive I have since researched is because my great uncle Frank was one of the – first people from the area to die in world war ii like Hmm. died in a plane crash in i assume northern africa um because if that was what was going on in world war ii at that time um and so anyhow that's why there's a soul to strive but so i posted this on twitter and immediately dave Wasserman is like oh, yeah, Clareton was like intentionally cut out of that district in the gerrymandering process in 2011. Whoa. And I'm like, this is a little town outside of Pittsburgh. And you know, that like, it was intentionally right. gerrymandered. But you had to Pist-
1: go look up the details of that drive. And he was like, oh, he just yes, knew. I knew like,
0: Oh, no, nope, there's a reason it's not PA 18. I'm like, Oh, my gosh, so much information. <laughs>
1: the only answer I can come up to that question is, well, one, you know, some people really like to hold a lot of data sets in their head. And two, that is, you know, that's like the primary. He's not doing that as like a side hobby in addition to his day job. Although he does meet with candidates. So that's like separate from memorizing every district and every street but in the country.
0: He, like his claim to fame yes. is that he like redistricted America. Right.
1: Yeah. No, I I I don't know that
0: America adopted his district
1: lines. (laughs) He redistricted. America said, "Thanks, Dave. We'll just, you know, approve. (laughs) Check, and problem solved." (laughs) Anyhow, so I'm I'm
0: so glad that he was in
1: this chair last week because he's the best. No, he was the perfect person for that exact moment, and we were very glad um, to have him. Um, But since then, there have been more elections, more news, more stuff. What song can help tie it together, Kristen?
0: Uh, Every week when Margie proposes songs we listen to, if there's a Billy Joel one in the mix, I choose it no matter what. Uh, And so in this case, Allentown, even though Allentown is also not in Pennsylvania, 18. uh, It's about a steel town. Right. And... Questions about the American dream, so we chose it. So, this week's top lines. uh, Tariff time. Who loves a trade war? We'll dig into polling on what people think about the proposed steel and aluminum tariffs coming down from the Trump administration. Then, Margie's got some polling on guns in schools. We've got a millennial alert. The Pew Research Center has defined once and for all what a millennial is. We will discuss that definition. Then, I don't really have a problem speaking my mind here on this podcast— Contra some commenters on Facebook. (laughs) But do campus conservatives feel a little uncomfortable speaking their minds? We have some new polling on perceptions about First Amendment rights and some polling about campus speech. And then March Madness. Who do you all have in your brackets? We will discuss what people are doing to fill out theirs. So the first
1: poll of the week, just to go back to Pennsylvania 18, because that was so big this past week. And... There are a couple things to note about it. First, one thing that Monmouth did in particular, and it was the last poll to come out before the election, and they've done it before. They did it during the presidential primaries. They did this in New Hampshire. I'm sure they have done it other times that I'm forgetting, but they've definitely done it these two times, which is to release different turnout scenarios and what happens to the vote at different kinds of turnout things, right, or turnout projections. And the tighter... The turnout, right? It was the tighter the turnout that it would have, or the lower the turnout, the closer the race? Isn't that what they found? Yeah, they
0: they assumed that but all of them had there was higher turnout that it would be more democratic right. turnout. And so, in a high turnout scenario, and they there there was a great interview with Patrick Murray afterwards, sort of going through, okay, how many people would have voted in your high turnout scenario? How many people would have voted in your low turnout scenario? And it turned out that the actual numbers of votes cast more closely aligned with their like middle to high turnout scenario. Yeah. But what was happening was it wasn't – there was like high Democratic turnout, but you also just had a lot of Republicans switching their vote. So it was, it was complicated to model. They said there were certain parts of the district where their model was bang on and there were other parts of the district were less so. Um
1: And it was also tricky because democratic registration was outperforming democratic performance there because you have people who were registered but hadn't voted democratic in a long time, so that makes these things complicated and then the other thing that's just interesting is like the notion of releasing turn- different turnout scenarios the day before the election, you know not a year out but literally right as people are about to go vote the utility of doing that so
0: which I kind of liked it and i I think good on them for doing it um and then the, the the big debate that has then ensued is was Monmouth wrong? Right, the number everybody runs with is the they've got Connor Lamb up by six, which is obviously not the result that we have since we have you know a very close race that is potentially going to a recount yeah, closer to six votes than six percent. Right. <laughs> um, but there is an excellent column up by friend of the show, Harry Enten, who's now at CNN. Mazel tov. Congratulations, sir. Uh, which I, I would like to quote from extensively cause I thought it was good. Um, you know, it's the, the headline of the column is that like the polls were wrong, but like, that's okay. Um, it's, he says, the conversation mirrors one I've had before following President Donald Trump's victory over Hillary Clinton. Most polls showed Clinton with a slight lead, and most of the media coverage suggested that Clinton was overwhelmingly favored to win. The correct interpretation of those polls was, yes, Clinton was favored. But she wasn't an overwhelming favorite based on the historical accuracy of polling averages. Trump was just a normal polling error away from winning. This idea that it's not the polls that were wrong. It's the coverage of the polls that overstates Right. What's what's what we know from the polls, which is 1000 percent correct and is the thing I say whenever I get into my defensive polls mode. Um, And in this case, you kind of had the same thing, right, that the public polling average, he says, um, you know, was around, I think, Oh, this is another quote from the column. It seems simple, but it's worth repeating after the coverage I saw in Pennsylvania 18. We know from the past that the polling average is usually a better predictor than any one poll. In Pennsylvania 18, Monmouth had Lamb up by six, but the final average of polls in the final three weeks was Lamb ahead only 2.5, which is less than half of what Monmouth showed. Um, So if you looked at the polling average, you were closer, but also still – it not enough to be like, oh, Lamb's definitely going to win. I think most of what drove the coverage was the fact that Republican consultants were out there trashing Rick Saccone so hard. What do you mean <laughs> like
1: the president? Like supposedly? Oh yeah,
0: like everyone's dragging this yes, guy, yeah. and so you assume, oh, there must be internals. They showing were definitely Lamb up by indicating. like a hundred, because otherwise, why would people be dragging him so much?
1: Well, but here's the thing, right? Because ultimately, I mean, yes, the coverage showed Republicans. Saying from the president on down, saying all kinds of nasty things about him. Um, at the same token, whether he won by whether Lamb won by two or six or or lost by two, whatever it was, you, you we, everybody seemed to be fairly confident that it was going to be fairly close and certainly closer than the district would, pre- pre- you know, predict and. You know, this would be kind of the macro argument. was the coverage just too enthusiastic in this like Democrats are excited, and Trump is doing badly in like a trump steel area despite tariffs and, you know, blah, blah blah. And look at this great Democratic recruit in this Republican that seemingly no Republican likes. and um, and <laughs> the wingman, you know, who can't the Trump's wingman who like that nobody wants is a wingman. Um, so everybody really like seemed to really enjoy. Writing that story, and whether it turned out to be true or just shy of true, it was still you could still you know even you know even Republicans say win or lose this would st- is still a wake up call. Like everybody seemed to kind of agree with the conclusion that this was all you know pretending yeah. bad news for Republicans. So think
0: back to math is hard eight years ago. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> no wait. More than eight years ago? I'm thinking well, about what, Scott what Brown. What are you actually talking t- oh, Scott yeah. Brown. I'm like, <laughs> what year was that? That was February 2010, right? Yes. So the Scott Brown race, the reason why the Scott Brown race was this interesting, like, big deal was that, A, you have, like, the balance of power in the Senate in play. But you also had two things can simultaneously be true. The candidate that, quote, unquote, should have won was a terrible candidate, whether it's Martha Coakley or, Rick, Saco- you know, like, not optimal versus someone of the other party who is able to tailor a message that fits fits a district that you wouldn't normally think that party could fit. Right. But in the case of the the Massachusetts uh, Senate special, like that changed the balance of power in the Senate. That was like it was important. Right. Uh, Whereas here, this is a seat that is not going to change the outcome of anything in the House. It's a district that doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) So it's not even like, oh, it matters because it's always better to have an incumbent. Like There is no incumbent. This is not a district that will exist in November. So it feels a little silly to place like a ton of importance on the win or loss, which is kind of why I'm surprised that so many people burn so many millions of dollars on this seat. I guess, I mean, I mean, yeah, you guess you want like the moral victory, right? But, but I think I you're right that whether it's, it's to Connor prevent Rand retirements
1: by, and to, pre, you know, to help recruiting. But I mean, if you are a recruit like, by
0: 500 votes or Rick Saccone by 500 votes, it's still like, it's still nasty out there for Republicans. Yeah, yeah. And, like, did we really have to spend $5 million to learn that or to, the total spending was something like $13 million in the race?
1: I, you know, right. I mean, that's pretty
0: darn high. See, for a congr- that's not going to exist. Yeah, you know,
1: details, details. I mean, it was interesting, you know, just to bring it back to polling for one second, the Monmouth poll. I mean, just to go to this point that, you know, is this really about, you know, Republicans sort of who f- who fell in love with Lamb for whatever reason and didn't like Saccone in their last poll right before the election, the district was evenly divided on who you wanted to see control Congress and so not just who you were going to vote for in that race, but who you wanted to see control Congress. Now, is that because of people who were turning out either for the poll or for the election? Or, you know, were they voting, you know, to send a messenger because they really believe in the Democratic versus Republican message as opposed to, you know, one candidate's mustache and one candidate's whatever? Um you know it, this that polling data that polling nugget would suggest that it's about more than simply one candidate being a good candidate and one candidate not
0: yeah and and then there's also the question of the trump effect which this was a very trumpy district in yep. the election um but hillary clinton's also not on the ballot here donald trump is not on she the was ballot on the door knockers here. she
1: was on a door knocker a saccone really? yes oh, yeah uh, this is like this just makes my head explode. There was a like I don't know if it was Cohn or one of the various you know millions of outside dollars, but um, it had a uh, it, had, it was a door knocker like Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton on like, it. Like it basically it says like you may think that Connor Lamb seems like a nice guy, but look at these ladies. <laughs> I'm like, these ladies might be in charge. Aren't you scared? <laughs> it just makes me want to like punch somebody. It's just horrible. Well,
0: the the question that and the the line that has been coming out of Trump world which I you know I'm not normally I don't normally buy the spin but I actually think that there's they're not crazy for saying this um that you know did Trump showing up in the district help at all like would you don't know the alternate universe would this have been worse had Donald Trump not shown up and done like a freewheeling rally um <laughs> but in the district I think in that Monmouth poll we don't have it in here but I believe that Trump's job approval in the district was higher than either Saccone's numbers or the fave unfave for the Republican Party. I believe that. Um, So people are like, oh, is Trump an anchor around – like is the Trump era – like is this going to be the headwinds? Trump is going to be a big problem for a lot of Republicans in a lot of districts. I don't necessarily think that like Trump is the reason – This race went the way it did. Well, I guess I'm not persuaded that he was just a net negative. So there are a couple. Right? I mean, there's you
1: know, there's all kinds of things to blame and credit, right, Um, for this uh, outcome, and it's hard to know exactly what it was. And I guess the question is, do you have Trump voters who say, you know what, I have buyer's buyer's remorse, and this is not going as well as I thought, so now I'm going to vote for Connor Lamb or stay home, or do you have Democrats who are like? Uh, you know, I might not vote in a special, but guess what? I'm voting now because, tr- you know, Trump is, you know, crazy town. So um, it may help in in the latter way as opposed to the former way. Um, unclear. And, you know, what does that mean around the country? Certainly it helps in the latter way. Does it also help in the former way? I guess I should say that. For sure, Democrats are surging in enthusiasm and turnout and Trump – and you know tr- we have Trump to thank for that, right? Now, does do are there Republicans who are going to be you know brought out to defend Trump? Or are they turning away from Trump? That's a little bit more mixed. It's you know it's that pattern is I don't think as clear and obvious as Democrats are like storming the barricades. That pattern I think can be established. You know that that's happening.
0: And it's not clear from the Monmouth polling that the Trump tariffs decision really played a role much at all. Like this is, you know, steel workers are a big part of this district, etc. But in the Monmouth poll, they asked, did you hear about President Trump's recent decision to impose tariffs on foreign steel and aluminum? Or didn't you hear about this? Uh, 95% said they'd heard about it. Do you think these tariffs will help or hurt? Uh, 43% said help 36% hurt. 8% 8% no impact to 13% don't know. So it's slight positive, but you know, kind of a mixed result. And then has the tariff caused you to change your mind? Now, people will always say, no, this one thing didn't right. make me change my mind. But to have 96% of people That's answer the question darn high. is really high. Um, so it seems to me that people are at least self-reporting a very high level of, no, this didn't change my mind. Yeah. And- Which – Donald Trump did not just start liking tariffs yesterday. So, you know, it may it that's not to say that the issue of tariffs didn't influence people's views, but the announcement may have already been priced in because Donald Trump has believed in this for 30 years and yeah. has been talking about it for 30 years.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, Politico morning Consult in a national poll where they asked about tariffs in a different kind of way. Um, you know, which comes closest to your own view. And they explained it just perhaps a little bit more. Well, it's not just up or down on tariffs, but should the government pursue more free trade agreements to open additional markets to American-made goods and services, or should the government pursue tariffs and other barriers against competing products from other countries? A majority in this formulation say more free trade agreements, a quarter say Pursue tariffs? A quarter say don't know. It's you know it's complicated. However, it's phrased. I think it's you know it's it's tough for folks who don't necessarily think about this a lot. And with Republicans, so Democrats, fifty nine percent say free trade. With Republicans, they're evenly divided.
0: My mind is blown. It continue. I mean, not not like I'm surprised because, but I'm just. This is not the
1: first time you've had a thought that (sighs) Republicans. i had my
0: free trader. What's happening to my party? Melvin. What does it mean to be a, <laughs>
1: on this, a conservative? on This
0: show. Oh. Yes. Oh, so quick <laughs> digression. Margie tweeted this out this morning, but <laughs> someone made a comment on something we posted on our Facebook page about the, you know, the, that we, we should have two. Well, oh, you, I mean, you explained the story, but like my response to, to the assertion that we do not have a conservative on the show. Which was what this poster on Facebook had to say uh, was that, like, I believe this poster and I just have a different definition of conservative. There is a conservative co host of this show. I just don't know. It's Kristen, by the way. It's (laughs) it's, me. It's me. Hello. Um, But, like, but there are certain issues where I'm just like, what is going on? And, like, I feel like inherent in the concept of conservatism is at least some belief in free markets, (sighs) which means free trade.
1: Anyway. So that is one way to enjoy or not enjoy that review. The other one was you know, two feminist posters. I don't get it. And it was posters instead of pollsters. So then I really enjoyed thinking about what my... If, is, if this was a show about feminist posters, that would also be cool. We probably wouldn't be able to do it for three years. I would probably probably run out of posters. But like which one would be my feminist poster? Maybe I would need to bring extra... This episode extra. is brought to you by
0: Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> right. Kristen can have a Hermione poster if she wants, you know. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm for that. Well, so, so now that I have established my like yes. angry free trader creds yeah uh i'd like to bring you a brief segment called i love you tyler but i have a beef with this question wording yeah <laughs> <laughs> one of our regular segments uh, yeah. no, um i don't know if tyler actually wrote this question but the government should pursue more free trade agreements to open additional markets to american-made goods and services okay that's like that sounds good that sounds good right that's the case for free trade Government should pursue tariffs and other barriers against competing products from other countries. To what to, end? Yes. Um, I feel like to make this a fairer fight, I would have included something like to protect American-made goods and services from unfair overseas competition. Right. Something, something like the first one sounds a little messagey, a little yep. more messagey than the yep. second one, and so I I suspect that would have yielded a slightly different answer. But, I mean, just these crosstabs of, like, Democrats being like, woo, free trade, and Republicans being like, I don't know, man. We are through the looking glass. Yeah, people
1: are just like, which is the one that Trump likes? Okay. <laughs> I think I know how to answer this question then. I know you didn't tell me which one Trump likes, but I think I have a vague idea which one that is. Yeah. So that was – that's, but that's a national poll. And it does suggest to me to just circle and close loop and, and tuck away pennsylvania 18 to, to bed for now but um that it's quite likely that so much has, of this has to do with question wording this topic it doesn't just immediately get people gung-ho the fact that you can have different kinds of question wording or people saying it doesn't matter also suggests that if in fact the tariff announcement was a gamble to you know juice people in pa 18 probably did not have that effect
0: yep uh, so just a quick check in then on the generic ballot while we're talking house race stuff uh, the Huffington post pollster average on generic ballot has republicans thirty six point six Democrats at forty three point six so d plus seven uh and then did we talk about the weekend trump trump job approval? No, I feel like well he's at forty one percent yeah, which is kind of where he's been, yeah, um. It's pretty, pretty stable since that increase after uh, in the new, you know, around New Year's. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics and user experience design. It's professional level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. So up next, Margie, you've got a new poll out about the gun issue and schools, is yes. that right? Yes. Well, it's with educators. So this is
1: um, uh, by one of my colleagues who worked with um, National Education Association. This is a survey of their members um, done in early March. So it's so folks who are members of NEA and um, with A variety of questions about the kinds of stronger gun laws that, uh, they would like to see that they would think would be effective, how they feel in their own schools. Um, and there are lots of, this is very much consistent with all the gun polling that I've been talking about for a long time, which is there are lots of different proposals that people support. There's a, you know, it doesn't have to be. All or nothing. There's lots of things that people, there's all kinds of some things that, that work for people. That's true with the population of educators and, and, uh, and members here. There's one proposal that is not popular and that is allowing teachers and school employees to carry guns in schools. That one is not popular. So um, that's, you know, very clearly, there's, you know, clear majority support of all the other ones that were tested, things like changing the age limits, bump stocks, etc. Mental health screenings and for before uh, purchasing guns, but And those all have very clear majority support. Between two-thirds and three-fourths of members, NEA members and educators say that they uh, would oppose allowing teachers to be armed and that they would not think it was effective as a way to reduce gun violence in schools. It's definitely in alignment with all of the enthusiasm that you're seeing in schools this week that we're recording this on thursday yesterday was the walkout there's also going to be a march in dc um in i think 10 days so it's very much consistent with the school community feeling differently than perhaps some legislators
0: i'm very i'm always fascinated to learn more just about the views of Republicans who – like Republicans who are part of the NEA. Like that that subgroup, like I would love to do a focus group of them just because, I mean, I've – like I've gotten – I'm on like all of these press lists. And there have been times – not the NEA. I it, it was actually the AFT like sent out a press release about like something the Trump administration did on foreign policy. And I was like, wait, what? Hang on. And so I think there's a perception that many teachers unions are just progressive – organizations. And so I would like talking to Republicans who are public school teachers and are part of their union like that would be such a cool focus group.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, there are Republican any I mean there are, you know, there are plenty of Republican NEA members in this poll. Um it looks like 30% of the folks in the survey oh, very are Republicans. Cool. Okay. Yeah.
0: I wasn't going to ask for the specific breakdown. I was like, I didn't know if that was, you know, super secret proprietary. But It's, I'm, it's in this thing that says oh, public. In, oh, <laughs> fantastic. Okay. Excellent. So, I was like clicking around the link. No, 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 talking. no. Okay. I, got, I, got
1: the, I got the inside scoop. So, yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah.
0: So, you know, they're out there. All right. Uh, so then there's also the question of young people themselves, which yesterday was the walkout in public schools. None of those young people who are walking out of the schools... Are millennials because the Pew Research Center has finally given us a definition of millennials. So, mil-
1: millennial doesn't mean just like, hey, you young person. Hey,
0: you young person, and your avocado toast and your Snapchats. <laughs> no, that is not what a millennial is. So, every time I have given a speech in the last like three years, I have to define what a millennial is. I give this like mushy, uh, it's basically people born in the '80s or '90s, and I say there's there is debate over when it starts, and there's actually very little debate about when it ends, because nobody has really like thrown down a gauntlet and said like millennials end here. Pew Research Center two weeks ago said millennials end here. 1996, you're in. 1997, you're out. Mm. So if you were born 1981. To 1996, it's a 15 year range. You are a millennial. Congratulations. If you were born before 1981, you are a Gen Xer. Extra congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) If you were born after 1996, you are whatever comes next. There is no considerable name TBT. There's no consensus around terms. I, I have leaned toward using Gen Z when I have to. MTV tried to name them the founders. That's a terrible name. Don't use it. Yeah, I don't sorry, like MTV. It. Uh, IGen is one that has been thrown out there by. There's a woman who, like, her thing is studying generations. Her name is Jean Twenge. She wrote the book about how millennials are all narcissists, uh, and she has now written a book about IGen, which is the people after. And so she's she pushed IGen. Um, there's a political consultant I know from Florida named Adam Goodman. He wrote a column about the Perennials. That's what he wants to call them. So there's lots of debate out there. Tweet at us if you have ideas Mm. about what you think this generation should be called. But we're not talking about them right now. We're talking about millennials. It's our moment. We have a definition. So
1: if you're born like the day after the window closes, I guess you can't, you know, that's just, it's just like being in a school cutoff where you're like, sorry, you were, your birthday is on, you know, October 1st. So you're going to be in first grade or whatever like, yep. it's like that's it you can't like redshirt yourself into being a millennial
0: it's it's definitely i mean it's artificial right, right. They it's have not to have a it, but you the there and there has been pushback about like this whole idea of covering generations is stupid anyways i think it was like a new york times op-ed from earlier this week that was like this whole industry is snake oil and whatever like <laughs> Sad face. Uh,
1: I, you know, you should like set, I mean, you would be broke immediately, but if you sent like a copy of the selfie vote to like every time somebody said something like dumb and insulting about millennials, I mean, one, you would be sending out like 8 billion free copies of the selfie vote, but it would be, a fun gimmick so the, to get people hyped up for the selfie vote, the movie. <laughs> I
0: did go to buy some copies off of Amazon the other day, and it was like there was one copy left. Ooh. And so I so I placed an order for more than one copy so that they would have to order another batch <laughs> from the warehouse. This
1: is their, uh, like, The devious ways yeah. of keeping this book alive. <laughs> um,
0: but the – so this Pew report – Or
1: Republicans. Maybe Republicans are buying it. Maybe Republicans are like – Holy cow, we need to buy the selfie vote. Oh,
0: I'm expecting that will happen late November. (laughs) Pre-order now before the rush is on. Um, So Pew's report is about not just, okay, we have defined millennial, but it is also about the political leanings of this generation compared to uh, generations in the past. And in short, the report says, Kristen is freaking right and has been for years. So everybody else, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's my. That's good. That's not very. That's not very classy. That's a good snappy no, but title. I'm, I am, Kristen is freaking right. I should tell my pew friends to change change the headline. No, it it goes through these generational differences in political leanings. And what's extra funny is I posted the link on my Facebook page, and a guy who I, I I'm acquaintances with named Michael. Uh, Immediately commented like, surprise, surprise, young people are more liberal than old people and get more conservative as they get older, which we've always known and has always been the case. And I'm like, no, actually, it shows the opposite, which is what I've been writing about for years. But like, thanks for playing. And bless You mean this incredible chart? (laughs) And bless all my friends' hearts who immediately like pile on this guy. Like, thanks for mansplaining generational politics to Kristen. I'm like, I don't think he – I think he was just – it's Facebook. He was just commenting. I don't think he meant it, but I had like 50 friends like pile on like, how dare you mansplain this to
1: Kristen? That's like, <laughs> that's my favorite Twitter meme where somebody like mansplains like a woman's article to the author, you know, on Twitter. I saw Twitter. someone
0: tweet a, uh, this morning that that's called correctile dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> where, do ma- where do
1: mansplainers get their water? From a well, actually. <laughs> that's another good one. maybe this is going to be two feminist posters Uh, and it's like facebook posters instead of like
0: poster signs yeah (laughs) okay uh back to the pew report (laughs) what it actually found so it goes through a whole bunch of charts showing that there was no generational difference in views toward bill clinton there was no generational views toward generational gap in views toward george hw Bush when he first became president there was some generational gap in terms of views of Obama, mostly that millennials liked him a whole heck of a lot more than everybody else and There are huge generation gaps on Donald Trump, namely millennials really don't like him. Hmm. Gen Xers kind of don't like him. Boomers and the Silence are basically the same, hanging out slightly above his his average uh job approval. Um, And then they say, oh, generational differences in midterm preferences, they're wider now than in recent years. So if you look at how just the millennial generation itself has behaved politically, um, we started off pretty Democratic to begin with, which if you read the selfie vote, I write about how Republicans' problems with millennials are not about Obama, that it started in 06. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have millennials breaking by like a 23-point margin for Dems uh, that year. Uh, the gap narrows slightly as you go through the midterms of 2010 and 2014, but that's in part because the gap was narrowing for everybody, because Republicans did quite well in those elections, you may remember, right? Yes. 18, I do indeed. <laughs> it is- has blown out, yeah, to twenty nine percent of millennials saying that they're going to vote for Republicans. So this group, it's I think the of same like a
1: snowplow, like a skiing, skating snowplow. That's what it looks like you're going from pizza, fourteen French fry, yeah, pizza. <laughs> if you pizza and you're supposed
0: to French fry, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Meanwhile, Gen X has not. Gotten more Republican as they have gotten older, they have gotten more democratic, and that line is pretty consistent. So this whole idea that, like, oh, we're going to look at all these generations, and over the years, as they're getting older, they're getting more Republican. It is l- not true for any generation besides maybe the silence, yeah, the silence get a little bit more Republican at the end. um but it's not the case for boomers. It's not the case it's the opposite of the case for Gen X, and it is now the opposite of the case for millennials, so for the millionth time, for the people in the back row who maybe didn't hear, <laughs> young people are not getting more conservative as they get older. Hmm.
1: I Wait, I have an idea. <laughs> How about you guys nominate some like more older Republican, like those Saccone types, right? I mean, this is kind of like the Saccone uh, type, well, although I know people make the same well, charge at, among Democrats. Yeah.
0: Everybody love young people love Bernie Sanders. He's not – I mean – He's no spring chicken. It's not about – He is not candidate. early in his career, yes. He's not early in his career. Is not about are you new or old? Is it not about – it is not about those things. But all I will say is for the millionth time, this whole idea that when you are young, you are obviously liberal, and then when you get older, you obviously become conservative is garbage. It's bunk, and we have more data to prove it now. Thank you, Pew Researcher. <laughs> The
1: <laughs> That was good. That was good. When this came out and you were on travel, I was like, oh, we we are going to talk about this. Oh, this I've been, is I've been time. I'm like, this for is, two weeks. I think this will still be fresh when Kristen gets back. And I am not going to even – I'm going to make
0: it fresh. I'm
1: not going to talk about it. You know, I may not even read it. <laughs> Honestly, I will just let Kristen take the helm on whatever this thing is. Um, it's but, good. Yeah. You
0: should read it, though. It's very
1: – No, no. It's this This chart is pretty – I mean – it's not so often that a chart can tell you exactly where, like it, like a laser beam, you look right here and really focus. And this chart could not be freaking clear, guys. I mean, it's – this is no joke. Um,
0: so yeah, buy your copy of the selfie vote now before it inevitably sells out in November when everybody goes, oh my gosh, this is a huge problem. Who would have thought oh. – oh. We have to do something to fix the party. Yeah. Okay. Well – I'm
1: sure it'll all work out. Um, so that, uh, so Gallup did something. This is also of younger people. And this made a little bit of news. I don't know how, you know, we could talk about this a little bit. There's been so much coverage. New York Times had a variety of columns. I guess it was last week about Republicans and free speech on campus. I mean, this is kind of a perennial bone everybody has to pick with things I mean people have been talking about this since I was in college this is this has always been around as an issue um there's some new data uh, you know i guess the theme here that emerges is that younger people have some concerns trying to juggle and balance these two things the priority of wanting to people to feel included and in valuing diversity but at the same time free speech and these are obviously Not easy questions to grapple with like because is there some – is the line nowhere or is there – because that's still a line or is the line somewhere and where you draw the line is important and, you know, how does this make people feel about their – you know, about – the right of free speech generally, about their education process, um, about party identification. So what did you think when you saw this? Because this, I know folks on the right talk and think about
0: this a lot. Yeah. So I think part of the reason why this is such a big topic on the right is like, I'll just use my own personal example. When I was in college, I was a Budding young conservative. I was never actually involved in conservative groups on campus, but like in the student senate, when Reagan died, I put forward a resolution, like, comm- like expressing the sentiment of the student body that we're, you know, like honoring President Reagan and whatever. And there was a debate on campus about should we kick Taco Bell off campus because their parent company wasn't paying farm workers enough for tomatoes, and, and like I remember speaking out with a kind of like a free markety position on that, and. Now what I'm hearing from young kids on campus is is that like if you were to stand in front of a student government at almost any campus in America and put forward a like Ronald Reagan was an okay president resolution or like a maybe we should like save the Chalupas, like you would be – it wouldn't just be like there's a vigorous debate in the student senate like we had. It would be like you don't have friends and like are an outcast on campus and that's not great. However, that is not an infringement on – like I think of freedoms as a – does the government – it's like legal. Does the government tell you you can't speak? And so on this question, when they're asking students, do you believe that these rights are secure? They say freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press. About two-thirds to – up to 80 percent of young people back in 2016 said, yes, I think these freedoms are secure. There has been declines in the percentage of all – young people, uh, all, for all of these freedoms being very or somewhat secure. Um, but the most dramatic drop has actually been among freedom of the press. And that drop is being driven by Democrats, young Democrats who believe that in this current moment, freedom of the press is, is under threat. Meanwhile, uh, young independents and young Republicans, most of them think that freedom of the press is secure. Um, so th- that's the one where there's I think some of the biggest party gap uh, as well as um the biggest decline over just the last over just one year. Um but then they also break it down by, you know, how much do you, which percentage do you think um who say if you say that you think each of those rights is very secure, all of the, you know, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, et cetera. Um it's actually Republicans who are the most likely to believe that all of those freedoms are are very secure. And I think part of that is because They're more confident that, you know, they're more confident that government's not going to infringe on these things because Mm. they probably like the president a little Mm -hmm. more. And so they view government as less of a threat on these fronts. But then when it comes to uh, the question here in this study of do you believe uh, on your college's campus, do you think members of each of the following groups are or are not able to freely and openly express their views? Um, Yes, they are able to. Women, 94%. Um, white students, 93%, men, 93%, political liberals, 92%, Hispanics or Latinos, 88%, blacks, 88%, LGBT individuals, 87%, uh, students born outside the U.S., 86%, so pretty high numbers. Right. Then you begin to get a little drop off. Only 80% say they believe that Muslim students um, have the ability to speak freely. Uh, political conservatives is the lowest group at 69%, so still a majority, but it's kind of clear that even – even the overall you know population of of students sort of gets that like being political conservatives kind of the least cool thing you can be on a campus. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think the difference is that standing up and saying you want to protect the chalupas is not is not what people think of when they think of these conversations. They they're think of, of Richard like Richard Spencer. They're thinking of Richard Spencer and Milo What's his face, right? They're thinking of something that seems to, you know, in incite or allude to or be adjacent to like real you know, violence and hatred um but and even, but the CIA... and that's and that's a little bit, you know, and so that's different. And then you have this question right next to it. Have you been personally ever felt uncomfortable in a class or a living area, et cetera, because of something said in reference to you, although this does specify race, ethnicity, or religion, not your partisan beliefs, but you know, the folks who say that they've felt threatened in some way or uncomfortable? are not republicans they are you know p- minorities and so on so who is going to be the real object of of ire and what that means i think is different than if you're having a you know rational civil debate about the free markets but Although i i totally
0: serious question wording like that it would specify have you felt uncomfortable because of they something have someone said about race ethnicity or religion just comma or political views if you're going to have the political right. breakdown, I guess. I don't know. Um, yes, I, no, I agree. But I, I agree think with there's that. a there's a big difference between like Richard Spencer and Milo and like Ben Shapiro and Christina Hoff Summers, who you may right. agree with. But like anytime they speak on campus, it's a thing and they have to have security. And it's like, I mean, even Samantha Power speaking at Um, a college yesterday, I think, had like students crash her speech because they said she's complicit in genocide. And so it's not just political conservatives, but it's also not just Richard Spencer getting like protested and said, like, on campus, your speech is not welcome here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I hear that. I guess, you know, it it is. It's very interesting. I hear that challenge. Folks on the left, fight amongst themselves about this kind of stuff all the time as well. And I guess I see it as sort of I mean, is it just like a rite of passage? It almost feels like just part of the educational process, but I suppose if I was a conservative student in a more liberal area, it would feel it would feel like a very formative experience and not simply like a rite of passage sort of like using a fake ID kind of thing. Um <laughs> But um, but we'll see. We'll see if this changes.
0: What worries me is that this sort of thing of political conservatives feeling like they can't speak out is part of what is driving them to invite right. people like Milo to right. campus. They're like, well, if you're not going to like me, take a load of this guy that I'm going to bring. And it's like I think that is a very dangerous strain of thought in campus conservatism today that I, I don't like. There's a, if you're if this is a topic that interests you at all. Check out – there's a good op-ed by a woman with the UCLA College Republicans who fought against her club's invitation to bring Milo to campus and it's like really well thought out. I mean, gosh, this young woman is like an exceptional writer and I would just uh, – I would encourage you all to take a look. It was, cool. a, good, it was a good column. Uh, good for her. Um,
1: OK. March Madness. Are you doing this at all? No. I mean I could do – so I could do one of these like joke things where you're like, oh, I just picked them based on like how cute – the guys are whatever, you know, and, and it's not well, very feminist,
0: Margie. No, but <laughs> th- it's
1: fine. It's you know, it's it's human, right? But anyway, I haven't done that because I'm enlightened, and or I'm busy, or whatever. It just doesn't seem sort of what is the ROI on spending the time on that? But people still people still do it. I kind of always am more of a fan of like the joke brackets, like that are not about basketball, like pie versus cake. Or I saw like the real March Madness and it was all the March Sisters from Little Women, <laughs> which I found entertaining. Or I, the one I liked a couple years ago was, um, you know, uh, gr- like upper middle class grievances, things like spotty Wi Fi, powdered creamer. You know, she's oh, <laughs> tardy housekeepers, like the, you know, which, which comes up to the final point there that I thought was kind of entertaining. Um, but yeah, I haven't done a bracket. The,
0: uh, the, my favorite fashion blog does Fug Madness every year, which is like a bracket of the like most loony outfits that celebrities have worn. Oh, yes. So I, that's my, but nor- normally I pay at least passing attention to college basketball because the gators are usually, usually decent enough to make the tournament and I am married into Georgetown Hoya Nation and so that has been a cavalcade of sadness uh <laughs> and tragedy for the last couple of years because Georgetown's been not so great. But this year I, I cannot even pretend to care. And normally I'm the like sports ball person right. here for the pollsters and I yes. I have not filled out a bracket. I guess I have a couple minutes to do it. I don't know when tip off is. We may be recording like and basketball it hasn't has started.
1: started it hasn't started yet
0: i know the gators are playing tonight mm. like i'm va- i'm aware enough of that piece of information but- <laughs> you're
1: but so a little is, bit more in touch i i we were i was meeting with some college students and so somebody was telling me from where they were from i'm like oh are they going to the tournament and you know i won't say what college they were from and they're like no like looked at me like you clearly know nothing because you would know how terrible we were i'm like okay
0: great thank you okay just wondering <laughs> Now you know something about me. (laughs) I know nothing. The the college basketball tournament is a cool opportunity for – because it it is much, I believe, much less expensive to maintain a high-quality basketball team than it is to maintain a high-quality football team because you're talking about fewer people, smaller stadium. So Mm -hmm. smaller colleges – can thrive in college basketball in a way that, like, it kind of takes a bigger school to thrive in college football. And so I remember when George Mason made the top four, uh, the final four, um, like, a decade ago, that suddenly, like, applications for admission spiked at George Mason because suddenly this college that had not been on many kids' radar, suddenly, like, they had heard of George Mason. So So it's kind of like having a poll, like having, like, a polling institute. Yeah, kind of. Where you're like, oh, maybe I want to apply to – you can have a really good basketball team or you can have Quinnipiac yeah Quinnipiac poll Suffolk poll Elon yeah I think Elon's like good at both of those things maybe I just think every school in North Carolina is good at basketball that's probably not true um but this is polling from morning consult about how people are doing their brackets 55 percent of adults plan on filling out their brackets plan on doing one on paper uh 54 percent say espn.com so these don't these add up to more than 100 i assume people are doing multiple brackets which is fine uh cbs.com 41% NCAA.com, 38% yahoo.com 37% other 11%
1: that's good i saw somebody tweet out that with rex tillerson leaving their brackets were all effed up and they had to go back to the beginning <laughs> <laughs> They're like, who's gonna? (laughs) Yeah, they're like, well, great. Now my brackets are all messed up. Now with Rex leaving. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's 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 how I can connect to the story. Okay, so some key findings. You may not want to call it a wave. That's fine. You can call it instead a surge in Democratic enthusiasm combined with lackluster Republican recruiting and a lack of appealing accomplishments. Given what's coming out of the White House, you can call it that instead, if you prefer. That's fine. Millennial is not just a slur or vague description of someone younger than you. Start getting ready for selfie vote 2.0. Happy National Walkout Day to those who have been celebrating. It was a fantastic show of activism yesterday. Our polling suggests educators might be right there with you. And when it comes to March Madness, who says paper is dead? Not me.
0: You can find us on Twitter at, at The Pollsters, individually at, at Margie Omero and at K. Anderson on Facebook, or you can find us at www.thepolsters.com. Make sure if you have not yet left us a review, we love to hear from you, even if you think we're too feminist
1: post posters
0: feminist posters it's <laughs> <laughs> fine uh we like to hear from you anyways it gives right. us something to talk and about on the show it was t-w-o feminist
1: posters but it could be t-o-o as well anyway
0: i don't hold people too accountable for spelling errors in social media yeah okay thanks bye